Welcome to our weekly Wednesday night shir. As always, for many, many years to come, we dedicate partial the shir is dedicated to Rafur Shalema for Eliza Shlamas Bracha, Batrachal Hinda, being that the shir is like a chsidish bringin, and what Malach Machol can accomplish. No, no, Malach Machol cannot accomplish what a Chassidish Fabregen can accomplish, and therefore we should wish her a foolish lema at this year, the schools of the Tera. Tonight is the Shleishim. It's 30 days for Leah Bas Eliyahu. Lina Bliner. I'm going to have to deviate slightly from this year, although lately I've been doing this because of all the funerals this year, um, to speak and to dedicate this year tonight to Lina. Of course, we're also going to remember the Nisham of Levana Bas Rachel, whose Shloshim was today. Lina, born in Moscow, traveled to Leningrad to be with her husband. Did not come from a religious home. Nice Jewish home, but obviously not very religious. And um, she merited to marry with Michal, Misha. They were together for many, many years. Misha physically put his life on the line. Not figuratively speaking, but physically served six years, six and a half years in Siberia. I think a little over a year in solitary confinement. Some people say solitary confinement sounds good. I'd like to get away from all the noise. I'd like to get away from all the hassle and the bustle. Um, part of the solitary confinement in the Russian prison was they folded your bed in the morning. So that you could not sit. You had to stand all day long. And you received a little bit of food inside a little hole. The person that Misha was co-conspirating with against the Russian government was poisoned by the government. They killed him. And therefore, Misha was always looking over his shoulder for many, many years. I guess even here in America, he didn't stop looking over his shoulders. There was one day with his food. Oh, look at this. With his food came um, a loaf of bread, a piece of bread. All of a sudden, this was a treat. But Misha was very weary. He was very worried what me, what's going to, who's trying to kill him. Perhaps it was poisonous. And so Misha brilliantly had a window by his cell. He took crumbs of the bread and he put it outside the windowsill. And the bird came along and took some bread. When the bird took some bread and came back the next day for more, I mean, the third day for even more, he realized that the poison, that the bread was not poisoned. Had it been poisoned, the bird would have died. From Misha and Lina, it was very interesting because this week a very young woman, 60 years old, passed away in the community. Very special woman, Miriam. Uh, Slater, uh, Shalom. 
I don't remember her father's name was a Kayan. And people start scratching their heads. And start asking, what's going on? What is the meaning of this? Why is God doing all this? How does this go on like this? And this has actually been a very tough year already. Tough and hey. But I heard from Lina's son on Matzah Shabbos, I merited to hear how God does work in direct ways. Not strange, not roundabout, but direct, honorable. When Misha was sent to Siberia, for six and a half years he was there, Lina slept with, with tremendous danger to herself. She slept on trains and everything to go out to Siberia to visit her husband. And the son tells me that she slept him once as well. Six and a half years. She was with her husband, she was by his side. The techie, by the way, tonight asked that we tell him happy birthday. Um, my son's birthday today, and his twin sister's tomorrow. They're a year apart, but one is hey and one is vav. So six and a half years, Lina Bliner slept and trudged and fought and kept in touch to make sure her husband had was visited and had what he needed. At the end of Misha's life, Misha had a very, very bad cancer in his stomach. And the doctors gave him months, maximum a year, Lina did not move out of the kitchen. She found out every possible diet to help and to treat Misha. She kept Misha alive for, that's right, six and a half years. Hashem repaid her. Those six and a half years of pain and torture she went through without her husband, to have her husband six and a half more years at the end of his life. Interesting about husbands and disappearing husbands. In the time of the Tzemach Tzedek, it was very popular that husbands were disappearing. They were deserting. They called deserters or aguna. Leave their wives aguna. In one such case, there was an Aguna with two children, Achmanalat's son, and she just couldn't manage. She couldn't do it. She couldn't see herself getting through life and, and supporting and bringing, raising up, raising these children, and supporting them, and it was just, she just. But there's a knock at her door, and two witnesses, two men are standing there. And they said, um, we have news for you. Don't know if it's good or bad for you, but we are witness. And as he was on his dying bed, your husband asked that we come and tell you that he has passed away. Now, once the husband passes away, she's no longer an aguna. She's now an almana, a widow, and she can remarry. She was a young woman. So obviously these two witnesses went to Besden, to the judicial court, and the rabbis sat over this and sat and listened and drilled and grilled them to pieces, 
to clarify and verify. And they decided, yes, these guys are really the genuine thing, they're the real McCoy. In the corner of the Bethesda was sitting an old Jew, who everybody knew was a nice holy Jew. And he stood up, he closed his safe, and he stood up and he said, no, 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 no. This guy is still alive. I see him. I see him. Now we know Teir Aleva Shemayim. Teir is not in heaven. Teir is down to earth. Teir can't be from a baskal, from an echo in heaven. We don't have Sagdin. So, if Bezen Shalmata, if a Bezen here says on this world that she is allowed to remarry, she should be allowed to technically remarry. But this fellow was declaring, no, it's not true. The husband is indeed still alive. So they decided to take this case up and they traveled to Lubavitch, to the Tzemach Tzedek. The third Lubavitch ever. The Tzemach Tzedek heard the testimony again and he waded out this way and that. And he lifted his head up and he stared off to the world, to the ceiling or to another world. Excuse me. And he said, no problem. You can give her paperwork, she's allowed to remarry. Wow. Imagine the shock. First of all, that this other tzaddik had had by hearing that the Tzavah is overriding him. And of all the people, that Tzavah actually sees this man dead. So lo and behold, they give her the paperwork. Short while goes by in Baruch Hashem. She merits to meet a new nice young man. And she marries. Very soon after her wedding... There's a knock on her door. Two very fine young men. And they say, Ma'am, we have some horrific news for you. Two weeks ago, your first husband died. And she says, How is this possible? We've heard about this six months ago, or more. They said, we'll tell you that God's honest truth, as we say in America. Your husband deserted the path of Judaism. He left the path. And he said, not only is he going to sin and not listen to God and not do mitzvahs, he's going to get anyone he can to sin. He paid, therefore, these two witnesses, the first ones, to come tell you that he died so that you would live in sin with another man. You as an Asian Ish, a married woman, would remarry of course and you would live in sin with another man. So he would cause you to sin as well. <coughs> An uproar. What now? What will be now? And what did the Tzemach Tzedek do? What was he thinking? But as they investigated, they found out this man indeed died right before the wedding. So she did not, God forbid, sin. But they came running to the Tzemach Tzedek. What happened? You miscued? You miscalculated? Or did you perhaps kill this guy? Did you make him, cause him to die because he was to, she was to remarry on your hearsay. Samachsedek said neither. I knew he went, very well he was alive. And I knew exactly when he died. Why therefore, you're asking me, Did he die? It was not me. I did not cause him to die. 
he caused himself to die. When he declared himself dead, when he told those two witnesses, go testify that I am dead, at that juncture, he brought a death upon himself. And therefore, when I saw that, I knew right away that he was going to die because of what he said. And that's why I allowed her to be married. The torture of a woman, not knowing where her husband is and what's going on with her husband, is horrific. And if I tell you, when Lina, Leia Basilio, was separated from her Misha, from Michal, she was tortured. Her one and only son, Elyusha, should live and be well, Elio, dedicated and devoted. He lived in New Jersey, she was here in Brooklyn, when he saw that after his father passed, even though we tried to do and look after her and help her, she came to us for Shabbosim, for Yom Tevim, just wasn't enough, she needed more help in her at home. He took her to live near him in the assisted living. So that he could be with her, so that he could spend time, and he could look after her. She didn't pass away from an illness. The nurse came in, or the aide and the whatever was there came into her and saw she was not looking right. By the time they called the doctor, she was gone. But an extremely, extremely special person. The Akaras Atev. The recognition of good that she had the way she gave to each and every one of us. <coughs> and her saying that she had said, and I believe I said it before, may God give you what I have in my heart for you. And this was something very, very sincere. Halavai, everybody should say and think and mean it the way she did. Let us say the Chaim Felina. Chaim, Chaim Lebracha. The Neshama should have an Aliyah. She should be a good to better for all of us. For her son, for her children, grandchildren. Her son, his children, grandchildren. In-law children. Her daughter-in-law, Sarah. And may she knock on the right doors and windows now that she's sitting up there with Misha. Let them conspire once again to get Mashiach down here quickly. Lech lecha me'artzcha me'artzcha. Get out of here. Avram is told by God, get out of here. Go. You're feeling homely? You're feeling at home? You're feeling comfortable? Your mother's cooking? Home cooking? Your father's house? Beautiful. Get out. Leave all the comforts behind. And move on. What is he doing now? Move on. Where am I sending you, says God? I'll show you. When you have to stop, you'll know.
And then we hear a commandment. Although Avram waits 99 years to do so, Yitzchak, his son, has a bris at 8 days. And this therefore becomes a commandment in chapter 17, verse 12, this week's parsha. At eight days, you should circumcise every male in your generation. Why eight days old? Why such a small little child who doesn't have any opinion, has nothing to say about it, wouldn't it be a bigger mitzvah? I will tell you though, it wouldn't be, would, it, would or wouldn't be. The gentlemen, the men that I've had to do with, that needed to have bris because they came out of the former Soviet Union or wherever they had done, whatever, however they grew up, and were not merited to have a real bris and they acquiesced to have a bris at the age of 37 or older or younger, the younger, the younger, the older, whatever they are, in the areas, married already, or just getting married. I think they're phenomenal. I think they're powerhouses. I told them all that they're greater than any of my sons, because my sons, after their business, it took them a year till they could walk, and they walked right away. Um, but wouldn't it make more sense? Isn't it look so much more glorious when this 37-year-old on Kumadin says, I'm ready to go off my Kumadin for a week so that I can have a bris mila, so I can be part of the Jewish covenant? I think that's amazing. What's the eight-day-old, eight-day-old child know? So what? He's having a bris. I mean, he didn't do anything. He's not doing anything for this. The concept of bris mila is that there should be the connection, as we see in the next verse, verse 13, My bris, my covenant, should be with you in your flesh forever. This is a covenant that God enters the man into between himself and God. It's not the person's doing A person is limited. He can't form any kind of connection of great source to God Himself. Although davening and learning, by praying and by studying Torah, one does connect themselves with God. One does become one with God. But not to the level that is talking here where God connects Himself with the person after the person is brought into bris. And that's why it's done on the eighth day. Because if we're relying on this connection to do through the person and have to wait for the bar mitzvah to do it, then the person would have to make his decision sign consent forms, etc. Here it's done, there's no recourse. The child is not doing anything because God is connecting himself to the child. So there's no reason to wait till the child becomes older. As soon as the child is old enough, they have to be brought into this connection, perpetual connection with God. Anyone that ever talks about Bismillah today must cry out with this battle cry. First of all, people are having problems with it and issues with it. Sanitary. Is it safe? Is it this? Is it yet? 
And then there are those that are trying to pass a bill in New York. New York, Irakadish. They're trying to pass a, a bill. Metzitza Bepeh should not be allowed. The drawing of the blood that the mahal does from the baby with their mouth should not be done. Unless the parents sign a specific consent form. The mahal has to tell and, and give all the facts and fictions and everything about it. God should protect us from this. That a brismila child should go through a brismila and not have it done kosher because these reshoyim, these wicked people, are standing up at such a decree against it. And may that decree be abolished quickly. Dr. Rebbe writes in Shulchan Aruch, the nefesh, which is holy, the holy soul that a person gets, a man gets, is through the mitzvah of Mila. Eight days after the child is born, he is finally given his holy soul. Now we know, for those keeping score at home, there's a Gemara Mesech Nida, Daflamir Amit Beis, 30 side 2. In Tractate Nida, the Gemara tells us very clearly that before the child is born, Malamdim Eisei Kola Teda Kula. The child is taught the entire Teda. And therefore, if you're ever sitting and learning something and you feel deja vu, you feel I've learned this before. You have your flashbacks from your mother's womb. <laughs> Please um, see a therapist immediately. No, Chasashalom. It is definitely a plausible thing. It is definitely feasible. Um, the pinch that we have on our lip, on our upper lip, is done by the Malach so that one should forget everything they learned. How random. Nine months the Malach is sitting and teaching the child. And now he has to take it away from him. What have I been doing for nine months? Where have I been going for nine months? I'm working so hard, teaching this child, and all of a sudden, zap! The child goes out crying. I would imagine. How is this? But the question here is, not on that part. We're asking a different question here. How can you tell me the Nefesh HaKedusha comes in only when the child has a bris? child's been learning for nine months the entire Torah. Now the reason for those who are not going to sleep tonight, God forbid, because they don't know what's the reason why the child has to forget all the Torah, is to give schus, to give merit to the child for everything that he learns throughout his life. If the child knows everything already, they have no schusim in learning. And the schusim in learning Teda is only in a physical world that we are in now. There's no such thing as the neshama before, the neshama after. Ashrei mishabolakan v'tamudu b'yadei ligimaratotos. That how great it is for the person that comes here, arrives here. This is the gates of Elam Haba, that they call this out. That arrives here, all the studies of Torah that he has in him, with him in his hand. Speaking of studies of Torah, I'd like to ask the people in Atlanta, Georgia, I thought they were coming up here for a Torah vacation. Mm. Yes, I have to find out to get an email on that one. We find a special Mila, a bris Mila, that's by no other mitzvah. Mitzvah, the word mitzvah, the Altarebbe says in the Kutateta, bringing down from the Zayar, quoting the Zayar, mitzvah is from the Russian Tzavsa It connects, it binds. 
It binds the person with God. Every mitzvah the person does, he forges another connection with God. The same way God forbid the other way around in the negative form. Every sin the person does, he severs a strand from God. From his connection. Here he reinforces his godly connection with each and every mitzvah. Tzav Sevechibur. But we don't see this. We don't see. When a person gives tzedakah, we don't see how his hand became one, became holy with God, connected. We don't see the change of the body when the person does a mitzvah. However, when it comes to the mitzvah of Mila, the mitzvah of Mila, which is directly in the body, on the body of the person, on the body of the child, it's not only visible, but it's visible forever. And this is what Dabra Melech, in the bathhouse, the Gemara Bracha said, Woe is to me that I am naked of any kind of mitzvah. And he was told, no, you have the mitzvah of the Bismillah with you. So although before the bris, the child was studying Tana indeed, and did have the spirituality and the holiness, but the inner connection, as we said before, that's recognizable, and as we said before, is the connection that God makes with the person, is only when the person has that bliss. Only then is it recognizable that the goof of the person becomes one with God and becomes one with the mitzvah. In this week's Parsha is the famous battle of the five kings against the four. Famous war that Avram Avinu stages to save Leit. But he runs into a little problem here. He runs into a problem in that perhaps the miracle that he merited was partial reward. Says the Almighty, Altira Avram Anichi Mogin Lacha, chapter 15, verse 1, verse Aleph. Altira Avram Anichi Mogin Lacha, this is still talking about Avram. Feareth not Avram, I am protecting you. Sechorcha Harbe Me'id, you have much reward. Rashi, who is very concerned with our Ben Chomish, the Mikra, understanding, after this miracle happened, and he was worried, maybe I got this miracle merited me, because I had reward, I was rewarded for all my righteousness. Therefore the Almighty said to him, you have much reward. The Rambam, in Hilchus Tshuva, chapter 10, Halacha Beis, Ha'evet me'ava esik batayra v'mitzvah, one that serves God out of love, involving a tayra mitzvah, like a daylira shateva, not to inherit the good, but he does the true thing because he is true. It's a tremendous plus. What is the plus here? It's the same plus, says the Rambam. This is the same plus, same greatness that Avram Avinu, who referred to God as his beloved. 
We see therefore that Avraham Avinu served God out of love. If that is the case, why was he concerned? Maybe I received something, some reward here for my righteousness. What's wrong if he got some reward? Avram wanted to receive reward only that God's name should be glorified. He did not want to derive any pleasure from any rewards. He wanted it simply to glorify God's name. And therefore, since he wanted that all the world should see how to serve God and to do what God wants, he got so much, he received so much of physical, so much wealth, etc. And this itself was sanctifying God's name. So when Avram is worried, perhaps he received reward. It was not a personal thing, Chatzashol. He wanted it to sanctify and to make great God's name. Hmm. Pasha continues, or goes back, shall we say, back to chapter 12, verses 6 through 8. We find a landing point for Avram. He comes to the Mekhem Shechem. Ad Elen Meire, until Elen Meire. And the Kanani was in the land. Just to go back a moment and to reiterate within what we're talking about now, let's, let's finish the Pasuk and we'll go back. Vayera Hashem el Avram and the Almighty appears to Avram Vayim and he says to him, To your children I will give this land. And Avram Avinu was ecstatic by this news. Vayivin Shamizbeach Hashem Hanidei Love immediately built a altar, an altar to the Almighty God who showed Himself to him. Now he can pitch tent in the mountains. South and north, one was Basel and one was Ai. And again, Vayivin Shamiz Beach Hashem, Vayikra B'Shem Hashem, and he called it in the name of God. We know the Pasik tells us that Avram built now two Mizbechis, two altars. Rashi, concerned with the well-being of the Mechamesh the Mikra, of course, immediately explains to the Mechamesh the Mikra why were these Mizbechas built? Why were these altars built? On the first altar it says, Shebano Avram, Avram built it, Al-Besudas Hazerev, Al-Besudas Hazerev, they found out now he's going to have a child, and he found out that they now own Eretz Israel, the Holy Land of Israel. So, for the good news to celebrate, he built an altar. Beautiful. Then, on the second Mizbech, it says, Shebana Besmiches La'ai, he built it closer to Ai. Rashi again tells us. Nisnave Avram had prophecy. Shasidin in the future, Bonav Lehikashel Sham. His children will stumble. Al Ovein and a sin, Achin Veispalel, Sham Alehem. Therefore, he builds an altar to pray for them. 
Beautiful. Thank you, Rashi. We understand. Although it's not Pshutish, well, maybe the first one would be Pshutish, the second one is definitely not. But then, Rashi, you leave us hanging. There is a third Mizbeach built. Avram arrives in Hebron and he builds a third altar. And Rashi leaves us hanging. He does not tell us why this altar was built. In conjunction to what we just mentioned of Avram Avinu's mission, his life mission. These altars were built in levels. The simpler, the more stringent, and even greater. On the first Mizbeach, Avram Avinu, who was childless at 75 years old, is told that his children will inherit the land. There's only one way his children can inherit the land. If they're born. If he's got no children, they're not inheriting. No. So at 75, when he didn't have any children, he was concerned, is he going to have a child? Says the Abish, not only are you going to have a child, he's going to inherit your land, so now you heard the good news. He's going to have a child. So that's one great thing. And then the fact that they'll be given as to show the Holy Land. So this is something that's directly to him. It goes take, hits home, as we say it. And therefore, for the land and for the child, he builds him his beach, he builds an altar, a very simple, self-centered act. The second one, though, he builds with a total different intent. Forgiveness for a sin that they're going to do. They have not yet committed the sin. But he is already trying to rectify the sin that is going to happen by yanking a mezbeach now and by sacrificing now. Needless to say, the third one needs to be even greater. What was the greater? The Shem Shemayim. This is purely for God. There is nothing physical. Not children, not the Holy Land, and not the children that are going to sin. It's pure spirituality. He sacrificed, he built this altar to sacrifice only for God's sake. Anybody hears that out of text, it would be terrible. Sounds like I said, for God's sake. No. Oh my gosh. See how you have to be careful with every word. And therefore, Ashi does not explain anything about this third one. Favram did not build it with any kind of intentions. Only for the merit of God Himself. Chevroin is where he builds it. Chevroin comes from the word Chiber. Attach. For this now is the true connection with God. Where a person does not have any kind of outside thoughts or contemplations. But it's done purely for God and for God Himself. And this is exactly how Avram wanted to lead his life. To everything should sanctify God's name. Rashi tells us here, Why is the Kenani in the land important to us? Because Avram Avinu Hayahelech Vechevish He went and he conquered the land of Yisrael. From the ch- he inherited from the land from the children of Shem. Nayak's three sons, Shem, Cham, and Yafas. For in the part of Shem, Shebechelke shall Shem, Nafla, Shechilik, Nayak, 
When Nayach divided the world up, Shem got this part. Therefore, the Pazik says, and God said to Avram, I'm giving to your children. In the future, I will return it to your children who are the heirs of shame. First thing we said now, Avram did when he got his land, is he built him his Beach. You know, Jigan was a comedian in Yiddish. And he once says, he says, I told my son-in-law, he married my daughter, I was so happy with him. I said, my child, what's mine is yours. I only finished the sentence, he sold my house. The Pasuk's telling us that Avram is in the land of Shechem. Hakanani has bought it, so it belongs to the Kanani. He's going to inherit it in the future. But right now it's not his. What did he do? He built him his Bech. He built an altar. How many people are waiting for Avram to show up in your backyard and build you an altar? Showing up on the lawn in the... Great Neck, New York, he shows up on someone's lawn and builds an altar. You go to jail for that. What's going on over here? It was Kenani Azbaretz. Where did Avram come off to build him his Beach? And not only that, he pitched his tent. He pitched his tent. He's here. I'm living here. I'm moving in. Give me an address. Put a number outside my tent. I'll know where I live. What are you doing? It's not your land. Between base scale and I, he built himself and put up a tent. And a few other tents also that he put up, he pitches. What is going on? Avram, get in touch. The IRS is on top of your case. Where you were taking, building, setting up house in people's backyards. Now technically, if you come to a place that's ownerless, today's day and age you're not going to find many like this. But in those days, there was ownerless land. There was land that didn't belong to anybody. It was called Hefker. No, it was Hefker. So then what's wrong? He set up in a place that was Hefker. And he took rights. He was in the middle of a city. A settled city. And it was belonged to Kenani. He was the landlord here. He's not finding himself an empty lot. A lot that's below that that's ownerless. Not happening. But you know something? <laughs> the Ben Chamesh, the Mikra, is no fool. The child is learning the Pasuk. He sees that Kenani has bought it. It belongs to Kenani, and he set up a tent and he set up an oil and everything. The, he has this question too. We didn't, because we're not so smart. But he has this question. He says, What's going on here, Avram? What are you doing? And you know what Rashi tells the Benchamesh the Mikra? Nothing. Rashi does not explain this. So if Rashi doesn't explain it, it must make it's common sense. Anyone that wants to live somewhere, he gets squatter rights. He gets to own this place. If he only is passing through JPT just passing through for a certain amount of time. Like a shepherd who would go from field to field, find the best place for his sheep. So you rent the place for some time. 
We find by Yaakov Vino also. Vayikin is Chalkas Hasode, Ashenot Hashem Olim Yad. And this is in Shem. Later in chapter 33, verse 19. Bajra He also sets up. He wanted to settle there. And when it comes to the grave of Yosef, in Pashas Vayechi, chapter 48, verse 22, Yosef. And when it comes to Avram, we find that he purchased Baras HaMachpelah for burial. It was purchased. When it comes to the dwelling of Avram Avinu, building of Mizbechis, building up altars, no. He was wandering. So the Bechamah Shemika says, no, he didn't buy it. He rented it. He must have put down a little rental, a deposit, in case I don't clean up my altar, or something's problem with my tent. He got himself a permit from the Parks Department. Just for the record, Mr. IRS, there's somebody also on Skype now from the Parks Department. <laughs> yeah, so I have to throw him a throw him a a, a line as well. No, no. Mayak's <laughs> Parks Department has a different thing. He got a permit from the Parks Department to set up tent. The Builders Union is a different thing. No. And they were good to go. The Mechamah Shemikah takes this, understands it, takes for granted, and has no problem whatsoever, and therefore Rashi does not have to explain it. Vayet Oholoi. This Rashi explains, he pitched his tent, but it says in the Pasuk, Oholoi, her tent. So Rashi explains, yeah, there were two. First he pitched Sarah's, and then he pitched his own. Beautiful. Two separate tents. It's great for Shalom Bayes, you say, huh? You live there, I live here, we have no fights. There was no internet, there was no telephone. (laughs) Smoke signals. (laughs) There was smoke signals. So we see that he sets up her tent first. We see, therefore, when it talks about Rivka, later in Pashat Chayi chapter 24, verse 67, Vayiviyah Yitzchak Ha'ela, Sara Imei. Yitzchak brings Rivka into his mother's tent. Yitzchak brought Rivka in to a tent that was specially Sarah's. And the Ramban explains, this is the honor that he gave his mother. For the moment that Sarah passed away, excuse me, he says that from here on, from when Sarah passed away, right, no one went into this tent, except for her. This was an honor that was given to her as he married her. And this is normal, that a doc explains this is a normal procedure, that there were two tents, the male, the husband tent, and the wife tent. And that's where Leah says, a light she wanted to invite Yaakov to her tent. To expound a little bit, as we're winding down, we have to get this in. Yitzchak brings Rivka to Sarah's tent. 
means to say, Venasa's dugmas Sara Imei, made a dugma of Sara's mother. She calls Manch Sara Kayemis. As long as Sara was alive, Hayaner Dolok made of Shabbos, out of Shabbos. Her candle burnt from out of Shabbos to out of Shabbos. She lit candles on Shabbos, for Shabbos, and it stayed lit until the next Shabbos. Ubracha Metsuya Beisa. And there was a tremendous blessing in the dough. It's always bread. And of course we know that the, tent, the cloud hovered over the tent. Umishemesa. When she passed away, Pasku, they stopped. All three, the candle, the dough, and the cloud. Kshibosa Rivka Chazra. When Rivka entered the tent, all three returned. It was Sarah's tent, right? Sarah died. It was empty. Right? Mm -hmm. So if it was empty, in that case, The miracle of the candle burning from Shabbos to Shabbos stopped. How could it start? When Sarah died and was not living in the tent, there was no candle lit on Friday. So how do you tell me the miracle of burning from Friday to Friday didn't exist? If it didn't burn. It wasn't lit. And the same thing with the dough. Therefore we have to say that the truth is, according to Halacha, that the tent ultimately belonged to both Avram and Sarah. And after Sarah passed away, Avram continued lighting the candle. Because that's the Halacha. Every year of Shabbos, even after Sarah passed away, he would light the candle. However, it didn't burn until the next Shabbos. Although he lit it, it didn't. That miracle, once she passed away, no longer existed. Only when Rivka came about. And the Chiddush is that Rivka was a young child. And they thought, therefore, that she would not have the merit to keep it burning for the entire week. But yet it did. So why is it that Dafka through this lighting of the candle of Sada and Rivka, did we have this miracle that it burned from Erev Shabbos to Erev Shabbos, and not by the candle of Avram Avinu, and not by the candle of Yitzhak, because a woman is a keres habayis. She's the foundation of the home. And therefore, when she brings about this light, and this spirituality, this holiness, it brings it into the house. As Davar Melech says, Kol Kvuda Basmelech Penima. And therefore, Davke, through the lighting of the Bas Yisrael, Davke, through her lighting, was it able to illuminate from Erev Shabbos to Erev Shabbos. Where the man, although he did it according to Halacha, is Darke Likvish. So therefore we see the greatness of girls and women lighting Shabbos candles, how important it is, and especially since we know that in Atlanta they took on that mitzvah, for both girls, Baruch Hashem, and I'm sure they're giving tzedakah before they light as well. And the tzedakah have a lot of nachas from them and from all the B'nai Yisrael. And the women, Shleishim, we are talking about Leah, Basiliyahu, Lina, who was a true Akedah Sabayis to her husband, 
as was Levana to her husband, they should be amongst the prophecy of as they will all rise up with Mashiach Tzidkenu and they will all come and sing and dance. Of course, the women don't sing, but the women as Miriam Aravia, who took the women on the side to sing their Shira, but they had their tufim, they had their tambourines, and each woman should have their tambourine, and we should go this Shabbos, Lech Lecha, back to Arzeinu HaGdoisha, in Yerushalayim Irakedesh, and shout out, Elifuah Shalema to the fellow that was shot today on Harabayas, we should have also Elifuah Shalema, I don't remember the name, but whatever it is, all his custom should come about. And Shabbat Shalom to all.